Chapter 10 of Israel's Faith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Israel's Faith by Nathan Solomon Joseph. Fasts and Feasts. Every nation that has a history has certain anniversaries which are marked as red-letter days in its calendar. But most nations willingly or willfully forget their past misfortunes, their self-love and vanity prompting them to hold in remembrance only their glories. With us it is different. Not that our self-love and vanity are less than our neighbors, but our history is different. For since we lost the land of our inheritance, our history has been, with few comparatively short exceptions, one long tale of persecution and humiliation. But now, thanks to God, we Jews in this great country, and in most parts of the civilized world, live in peace and liberty, our lives and property secure, and we begin to regard our past sad history almost as a frightful nightmare, scarcely a series of real facts. It has been the custom of our people, as each anniversary came round, to praise God for good and evil alike, to celebrate our past glories with heartfelt gratitude, and to call to mind our past sufferings with lamentations, but also with thanksgiving. For in darkness or in light, in sorrow or in joy, the Jew still felt himself surviving heir to a precious heritage, and confident in the future of his race was grateful to transmit to unborn generations that heritage in all its purity. For these sad anniversaries are not only historical, but biblical. They are mentioned as fast in the book of Zechariah, the seventh day date of Tammuz, the ninth day of Ab, the third day of Tishri, and the tenth day of Tebeth. The fast of Tammuz commemorates the taking of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon the Feast of Ab, the saddest anniversary of all, the destruction of the first temple by Nebuchadnezzar, and the destruction of the second temple by Titus, the Roman general. The Fast of Gedaliah on the third day of Tishri is the anniversary of the murder of Gedaliah, the chief of the remnant of our people, who clung to Judea after the destruction of the first temple. From that date the independence of the Jews ceased, until the restoration in the days of Cyrus. The fast of Tebeth commemorates the commencement of the siege of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. Reading these dry details, which seem a mere catalogue of misfortunes, it is difficult to realize their full import. But the narrative of the destruction of the first temple, as detailed in the last chapter of the second book of Kings, and in the last chapter of the second book of Chronicles, and the history of the siege of Jerusalem by Titus, as described by Josephus, set forth vividly the horrors attending these national calamities, when the city was consumed with famine, so that there was no bread for the people of the land, when the besiegers ruthlessly slew every one in the fated city, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. Never in the world's history has such a siege taken place as that which finally overthrew the sacred city. Never has a city been so completely destroyed as was Jerusalem, destroyed so that scarcely a vestige of its ancient glory now remains, save a few huge pieces of masonry, the foundations of its outer walls, 
and some underground vaults, cisterns, and aqueducts beneath or near the site of the sacred temple enclosure. Perhaps human nature is so constituted that we may find it hard to lament the loss of what we personally never possessed, and thus many thoughtless people may smile when they are told to mourn for the loss of Jerusalem. But when we read in the Bible and in works of history what Jerusalem was, and call to mind that the temple was the place on all the earth, chosen by God as his holy house, the religious center of the chosen people, and that instead of that glorious heritage, we have nothing left to us but the written word, no land of our own, no temple of our own, no house of God where the Jew can worship the one and only God. Then, perhaps if we are fervent Jews, we may realize what we have lost. Still, our past history is not all gloom. Our history is indeed a history of persecutions, but it is also a history full of providential escapes. Two of these marvelous escapes from danger, which might have utterly exterminated us, but for the protecting hand of providence, we celebrate by festivals of joy and gladness, the Feast of Purim and the Feast of Hanukkah. Who can read the book of Esther without discerning, in the wonderful chain of events therein related, the guiding hand of an all-directing providence? When, therefore, we celebrate the Feast of Purim, as our forefathers did in Shushan, with light and gladness and joy and honor, we must keep foremost in our minds the recognition of God's government of the world. And when we read in the book of Esther how a despised Jew and Jewess became by rare acts of courage and self-devotion the saviors of their nation and placed on record an imperishable memorial of their marvelous escape, and how finally the Jew Mordecai raised to the post of first minister to the king of 127 provinces yet remained steadfast to his faith and race. We must indeed acknowledge that it was the hand of the Lord of hosts that had wrought these things. The events that gave rise to Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, are described in detail in the books of the Maccabees in the Apocrypha. About the facts contained in the books of the Maccabees, there can be no doubt, as they receive ample confirmation from other historical sources. About two centuries before the Romans destroyed the Second Temple, Judea was ravaged by the army of Antiochus Epiphanes, king of Syria, who penetrated to Jerusalem and even took possession of the sanctuary. Resistance seemed useless. The priests fled from the temple, and the Syrians there set up their idolatrous worship with all its abominations. They then tried to convert the Jews to their own degrading religion. The ordinances of Judaism were proscribed, and worship of God was forbidden, and all were ordered upon pain of death to bow down before the idols of the Syrians. Thousands of Jews died the death of martyrs, because they persisted in clinging to their own religion. Many weakened by privations and torture became or pretended to become converts to heathenism, and many fled to distant parts of Judea, taking refuge in the mountain caverns. All seemed hopeless, and it appeared as if Jews and Judaism were about to vanish forever from the face of the earth, when suddenly there arose a family of priests who took upon themselves the apparently impossible task of resisting the idolatrous invaders. These heroes, consisting of an old man named Mattathias and his five sons, were the Maccabees, or Hasimonians. 
and they commenced their work of salvation for Israel by bidding defiance to the Syrians when they invaded Modin, their village home. For at Modin, the invaders had set up altars for the worship of their idols, and these the Maccabees, jealous for the true God, indignantly swept away. The Syrians, accustomed everywhere to receive submission, were amazed at this boldness, and tried to bribe Mattathias and his sons, by promises of honors and riches, to yield to the king's commands, and to embrace the idolatrous religion. But the Maccabees indignantly refused, and rallying around them a handful of villagers whom they had inspired with patriotism and religious fervor like their own, they engaged in battle with the hosts of Syria, and though largely outnumbered, conquered. No sooner had they gained their first victory than the Maccabees re-established the worship of the true God, and then proceeded to organize a small army with which to liberate their country. But the old priest, Mattathias, did not live to see the end of the conflict. He died leaving his sons to continue the task he had commenced, and inciting them by his last words to the work of regenerating and reviving the nation and the religion he loved so well. The sons fought like lions. Everywhere the little handful of Jewish patriots conquered. Legion after legion of the Syrians, led by the most renowned generals of King Antiochus, fell in battle, struck down by the small band of Maccabee soldiers. Nothing could withstand the prowess of these Jewish heroes. And after a succession of victories, unbroken by a single reverse, they marched to Jerusalem, determined to crown their glories by rescuing the holy city from the pagan hands that had desecrated the sanctuary. Here again they were victorious, for they drove out the Syrians from Jerusalem, once more regained possession of the sacred temple, and the remnants of the hosts of Antiochus gradually retired from Palestine. Then the soldiers' work over, the priest's work, the purification of the desecrated temple, began. Every vestige of the idolatrous worship was removed. New altars were built. New holy vessels were set up. The lights on the sacred candlestick were once more kindled, and the ancient worship of the Most High was re-established. Then was celebrated the first feast of dedication with great rejoicing. It lasted eight days, and it was ordained that forever after the Jews should celebrate as a festival this wonderful escape and the religious revival that followed it. How it is celebrated is well known. For eight nights we illumine our homes with festive lights, commencing with one and adding one daily, till eight lights are reached. When these lights are kindled, joyful hymns of thanksgiving are sung to celebrate the salvation of Israel by the Maccabees. The lesson taught by Hanukkah is similar to that taught by Purim, the recognition of the hand of God in human history and human destiny. One can well imagine the worldly wise of the Maccabee are laughing at the temerity of Judas and his brothers, when they, with their handful of villagers, ill-clad, unpractised in the arts of war, and deficient in the implements of battle, went to fight the hosts of Syrian soldiers. Just as Goliath laughed at the stripling David, and just as in our own time the worldly wise of many nations predicted failure to the small band of Italian patriots who undertook the liberation of their country. And thus this wonderful episode of our deliverance from the Syrian yoke shows us how providence selects as instruments not always the powerful and strong, but sometimes even the weakest, humblest, and poorest to work his will. To regenerate an expiring nation, 
to revive the fast-dying embers of a glorious religion and to restore its influence he selects the poor weak old priest and his five sons inhabitants of an obscure village of palestine these were to be the saviors of their people these were to inspire their followers with the courage of lions to meet and conquer an enemy many times stronger than they these were to rekindle the fire of religious zeal among their fellow jews these were to drive out the idolater and to restore the true religion not by might nor by power but by my spirit saith the lord of hosts end of chapter ten